This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live an enjoyable and epic life. So three quick things. First of all, if you're going to be going up to plant stock this coming weekend to the Esselstyn Farm up in Catskills, New York, say hello. I'll be there. A bunch of us will be. Uh, Adam Sud, Tim Kaufman, Josh Lajani, a bunch of people who've been on the podcast and who I'm proud to call friends and mentors and teachers of mine. So uh, come up, say hello, and uh, maybe come on a run with us in the morning. Second thing, the self-sabotage report is still available because I haven't written another one for August. So we still got July's report. We're letting it ride. You can get it for another week or two because I'll be traveling. I'm not going to get a chance to do anything about that. You can get it at plantyourself.com slash sabotage. That's all lowercase. And third thing, amazingly, I'm up to $370 per month on Patreon. I should say we are up to $370 per month on Patreon. I'm beginning to see how the podcast itself could eventually at some point become a thing that I don't have to subsidize with my own time and money. It's getting there. And the first stretch goal, $1,000 a month is within reach. I've reached over a third of it. We've reached over a third of it. And when that happens, um, I'm going to add a uh, an ask me anything or ask me almost anything, an AMAA uh, monthly, where if you have questions, and typically these will be questions about behavior change, because that's my area of expertise. So sort of coaching-ish issues and questions that I'm going to be making available to the world. So if you'd like to help make that happen, and if you like the podcast, and if you appreciate the effort that's gone into it, and you'd like to pay your fair share, and you've got some extra cash lying around that isn't going to hurt you in any way, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash plant yourself, or equal opportunity, you can go to plantyourself.com slash Patreon. I think that's right. Maybe it's not. But you, if you go to the homepage of plantyourself.com, on the right sidebar, there's a Patreon link, and you can sign up. And when you do, you also get access to the Healthy Habit Huddles, which I do three a month, 45-minute um, to hour-long talks on healthy habits. And people really tell me they like them, and they're valuable. And so, therefore, because human nature is what it is, we all like to get something for something. So if you become a patron, even at a dollar a month, you get access to all the upcoming Healthy Habit Huddles, and over a year of archived episodes. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk about today's guests. But let's keep it brief, because they talk about themselves in a much more entertaining way than I will. They are Aaron Stuber and Jackson Long. They are the founders of Thought for Food, which is a burgeoning media empire. Right now, it's a blog, it's an Instagram account, it's a podcast, it's a YouTube channel, but these guys have such energy and such compassion and such wisdom, and they're really funny and they're crude. And, you know, last week I talked to uh, Tara Kemp, and who's another sort of young, up-and-coming representative, teacher, leader, next generation of the plant-based movement. And I think you'll find Aaron and Jackson fit that mold as well. They're friends with Tara. They hang out. They do podcasts together. And it's so great to see this this next generation. I don't know. I guess they're millennials, maybe. I'm not really sure about all that stuff. I can't even tell if I'm Gen X or Boomer, exactly. But um, whatever it is, this this generation comes 
unencumbered by a lot of the nutritional baggage that my generation and previous ones have had. And they're really able to talk and engage and share and promote the message in ways that I think are going to be so much more effective than anything we figured out so far. So this conversation is a real joy. It's a pleasure. It's funny. It's crude. It's uh, it's not. It's going to be explicit on iTunes, not uh, clean. So fair warning. And without further ado, Aaron Stuber and Jackson Long of Thought for Food, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Pleased to be here. Yeah, Howard, thanks for having us on, man. We we really appreciate it, and we appreciate your flexibility. We got some real stuff going on here in, <laughs> in Boulder, so we appreciate it. Cool. Well, you know, I, I can't touch my toes, so it's one of the few areas in which I can demonstrate flexibility in my schedule. So. Very, very nice. <laughs> very nice. So, I, so I wanted to talk to you guys just because you have such a a, a fun attitude um, in in your publishing world, in your in your uh, YouTube TV channel, on your podcast, and I just wanted a, a hit of that energy for me and for my listeners. Yeah. So. Um, it, it occurred, it occurred to me as I was doing some research that, um, this is not going to be one, this is going to be one of those explicit episodes since the, the first words of the first video I saw on YouTube is, I think, Aaron, you said, oh, my hair's all fucked up. <laughs> yes. So, I just want to get that out of the way that we're not, right. we're not going for clean here. All right. Good. All right. Hey, if you, if you, if you think that's fine, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, well, you know, we try to. Okay, so this is something we talk about all the time is is censorship. And Jackson and I have have been known to have some potty humor, but we, we there's sort of a, like a spectrum there. So like sometimes we're just way overboard with that and sometimes we really try to clean it up, but we we struggle with that because we want to be we want to be fun and spontaneous and funny, but we also want to be professional and taken seriously. So that, that's a hard line to walk you know yeah yeah so what, what do you do do you have like someone's grandma as your litmus yeah. test well we have a sh <laughs> we put a shock collar on aaron usually and every right. time he says fuck or shit it it, it like shocks him with with yeah. like 100 volts and just just to remind him it's kind of this like pavlov's dog sort of experience for him yeah. um that seems to be working pretty well um although you know it just i, I think it's just it's just ingrained in his mind. But yeah, I mean, we're both off air. We're both a, a little bit more profane than, uh, than, than, than normal, but I think it's just a process and I think it's, but I think it's okay to have a little bit of that, you know, authenticity with, with swearing and, and, and in a, a kind of a tasteful way, I think. Yeah. I think if they, people they, are really offended right. by those words. Like, I don't know if the, you know, thought for food TV or, or podcasts is, is totally right for them, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so we we sort of just try to balance it and and um, keep it tasteful if we can, uh, when we can, and keep it professional, but also keep it, uh, you know, keep keep it light, keep the banter fun and sarcastic. And so thanks for right. thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, so that, I mean that kind of goes to one of the things that I wanted to talk with you guys about, which is like what what is in the service of your mission? Because I got right. the sense that a lot of your you know, quote potty humor. Is is not just uh, gratuitous. It's you're you know you're trying to reach out to an audience. You're trying to establish yeah. a vibe. For example, one of one of the bitty, you know sort of potty humor things you do is this hashtag take epic epic dumps, <laughs> which you did is your homework. Yes, I do my homework. Yes, <laughs> which which is and you point out like it's funny, but it's really serious. Like 
we are a fiber de- deficient nation. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about like who's your audience when you sat down in that coffee shop for the first time to decide, hey, let's do this thing? What what was on your mind? Like what was missing in the in the marketplace, and who did you want to connect with? Mm. Gosh, there's there's so many good questions there. Um, I think why don't you start with it, Jackson? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the well, let's first talk about the epic dumps. I think um, the <laughs> epic dumps sort of came. You know, we we first started with this kind of like do epic shit mantra, which to us like encapsulates so much more than just like going and like you know doing the Leadville Marathon. Like that's epic shit, but it's also it's also just kind of being able to take that leap of faith and jump off of, of a cliff, a metaphorical cliff in whatever it is that you desire. And and for us, that was really starting this podcast. And I think do uh, take Epic dumps is sort of an extension of that, meaning that, that you can have these Epic bowel movements basically as a result of eating a really high fiber, high plant-based diet. And that is, that is just a really good, metric for overall health. And, um, and so I think we just, I think that kind of shows what our, our sort of audience direction is and our sort of, you know, mission directive, uh, is we want people that are, are excited about doing Epic stuff, whether that's taking Epic dumps or, you know, going on an Epic run, you know, and, and not necessarily everyone that, we're trying to reach has to be some extreme athlete or some extreme, um, you know, uh, dumper, I guess. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I think when we sat down, and it's been an evolution and, and, you know, when we sat down in that coffee shop, I don't think that we were sort of thinking in this manner. I think we just, I think we just sort of sat down and we're like, Hey, we really love podcasts and we feel that, you know, we could lend our voice in a really kind of unique and fun way. And, and, you know, we had been friends for, you know, maybe a, a little bit less than a year mm-hmm. up until that point, maybe more. And, you know, it kind of instantly when we first met, like our kind of humor and our personalities really, really clicked with each other. And that sort of, we felt like, there, especially in the plant-based world, there's not necessarily a lot of this sort of not potty humor, but just like entertainment and just not taking ourselves too seriously, but, but also being able to combine that with the science and the nutrition education, um, to kind of make it a lot easier to digest than just hearing from, you know, a really specialized doctor talking in kind of a dry manner. We wanted to sort of bring that to a little bit of a wider audience and it sort of evolved into, doing it for athletics and for, you know, being adventurous and getting out of your comfort zone and all of these kind of topics that we like to talk about. And we're still learning, like we're still in beta, as I like to say, you know, we're always in beta and it's always developing and, and, and kind of shifting in ways that, you know, we, we don't ever want to settle, I guess. Right. And we don't even really know what we're doing for the most part. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we, we kind of, we're learning as we go, but I think to touch on like who is our audience, well, you know, I think at first our audience was plant-based people, vegans and vegetarians, right? And then as we progressed, we sort of realized that there's too much echo chamber going on in the plant-based movement right now. And I think if we're going to be committed to science and committed to what is actually true, we need to get out of the vegan echo chamber and we need to start having these broader conversations and do it in a way 
that creates sort of a safe place for everybody to come in and absorb these ideas. Yeah, right? because if, if our mission is to get more and more people, athletes uh, and, and just general people on to eating more plants, um, it's not really going to help push that forward necessarily if we're just sort of preaching to the choir, I guess. Right. You know, it's, it's so let's make it approachable. Yeah, let's make it approachable. Like it's 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 great to go around and speak at VegFest, but when you go and speak at VegFest, you're speaking to vegetarians and vegans for the most part. So what we are trying to do is create these concepts that everybody can get behind, like go eat some plants. Okay? No one can argue that we should all go eat more plants, right? And then the take epic dump epic dumps thing is funny and it's potty humor and it's sort of sophomoreish, but the point of that is to start a conversation, right? So if you had a shirt, you know, we want to make these shirts that say eat plants, take epic dumps, right? That seems <laughs> Oh, weird. sign me up. Yeah, yes. It will send, we'll you, send one. you one. <laughs> so that seems finally so, something something I could put on my Instagram for, for that hashtag oh, yeah. other yeah. than the obvious. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Don't take pic- so, don't actually take pictures of your poop. We always yeah. we always tell people that's our yeah, disclaimer. The, the disclaimer, yeah, exactly. So it's it's a silly thing to say, but if you're walking through the grocery store and you're filling your shopping cart up with plants and you're wearing this shirt and somebody sees that and they're like, oh my gosh, that is so funny. What do you mean by that? And the point is to start a conversation about the importance of eating plants, especially whole plant foods, and eating a, a high fiber diet. Because as you said earlier, Howard, we are a, we are a fiber deficient nation uh, big time. And the more plants we can eat, the more fiber we can consume and the healthier our, you you know, our GI system will be essentially. So, you know, colorectal cancer is a serious problem in the United States and, uh, diverticulitis and diverticulosis and, you know, Crohn's disease. Constipation. Yeah. Constipation, ulcerative colitis. These are mostly fiber deficient sort of lifestyle diseases. And so by making, this kind of funny catchphrase, you get people to really understand the underlying seriousness of that. And it starts a conversation about what it means to to live healthier and to eat more plants. And, really. and so far, a lot of people have been psyched to tag that on Instagram and they, they're show, they're you know taking pictures of their meals that are just giant piles of beans and <laughs> greens and brown rice and these just epic meals. Then like, we're hoping that that can kind of extend out into the mainstream and people are like, you know, they get, it's like a competition, whoever can eat the most fiber. I mean, obviously you don't want to eat too much fiber. I've, I've made that mistake and on bike rides and it's, that's not a good place to be, but, uh, you, you know, it's like, we, we need to get it. We need to shift the culture to being like really excited about eating as much fiber as possible. Right. So I'm, I want to nod a little bone that you put out there earlier when you said, you know, we don't just want to be in the vegan ep- echo chamber. We want to be committed to science and what is actually true. And I love that. And I'm curious what you mean by that. Like, are there places in which the vegan echo chamber is neglecting science or has, God forbid, some sort of subjective bias? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we don't hear a lot in the vegan space, at least in the in the orthodox space, is that according to the science, there there still is room for somewhere around 10% of your calories to be coming from animal products. So we know this when we look at the blue zones populations. Okay, these are the, lo- the longest living uh, populations on Earth with some of the healthiest people. Um, 
those populations, most of them, with the exception of the Seventh-day Adventists, are not vegan or vegetarian. They eat a little bit of animal products, but they're getting about 90% of their calories every day from whole plant foods. And so there's no science yet that tells us that the only way to live the longest and healthiest life possible is to go totally vegan. And so we see that argument neglected a lot in the, in the, uh, in the vegan space and the vegetarian space. And we think that's one of the reasons why vegans are so polarizing, um, just in the general nutrition community, because most of the time the message you hear is, well, the only true path to health is a totally plant-based diet. And any diversion from that is just going to set you up for cancer and heart disease and diabetes. But according to the best science we have now, the preponderance of evidence, that's, that's not true. Although I try to make it clear as well that you can do remarkable things for your health on a totally plant-based diet. It's, you know, a vegetarian diet is the only thing that's been shown to actually clinically reverse coronary artery disease. That's a big deal to me as a cardiovascular nurse. Um, it's been the only thing shown to reverse type two diabetes. So, from that perspective, like, yes, if you want to do a totally plant-based diet, you're in good company. I mean, and just to be interested for a disclaimer, like Aaron and I, are, we're both fully vegan. Like we right. are both fully plant-based and we, we love that lifestyle. But I think in order to get this to the mainstream, we have to be able to, you know, kind of meet people where they are. Yeah. Right. And, the, you know, the other thing that I hear, especially at VegFests, is the idea that like health is the least important or least interesting reason to do this and we don't even we don't even want to take people there because you know yeah that they admit that you can be healthy on that 10 percent, but we don't want to talk about it because it's all about the animals right 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 right, right. so and and so I, we don't mean to neglect that part either the the only reason that jackson and i remain totally plant-based is for ethical and, and environmental concerns um should we get to a point, which we will in the relatively near future, where technologies like clean meat um, becomes a real thing, a viable thing that is on the market? I don't know if you're from. I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, you know, clean meat like Memphis Meats and companies like that, Silicon Valley startups. If we could get to that point then I think you'd see a lot more vegans and vegetarians being interested in putting animal a little bit of animal product back into their diet somewhere around that 10% line because suddenly animals are no longer involved and the environmental concerns aren't there. So right now, absolutely, we're vegan because uh, this is an ethical concern for us, an environmental concern. But if we're going to be honest about the science from a health perspective, there is still a little bit of room for animal products there. Gotcha. So let's. You mentioned um, Aaron, right? That you're you're a cardiovascular nurse. Yeah. Why don't you guys tell me a little bit about um, like where you come from and how you arrived at this lifestyle? Were you were you guys born plant based athletes, or did you have uh, a journey? Um, yeah. So you know, plant based stuff sort of came into my life. Oh, I don't know, almost twelve years ago. Um, I was a competitive climber at the time, and I had I met my girlfriend, who is now my wife, um, and she was a vegetarian. And I thought that was the dumbest thing 
I had ever heard of. I was like, well, you know, that works for you. You're not an athlete like me. I, I take this seriously. I need my protein. I need my iron, you know, to, to, uh, recover from these intense training sessions that I'm doing. And then over time, because she wasn't pushy about it, I started having more vegetarian meals. That's just the, the socially uh, normal thing to do if you're living with somebody. And um, I liked it. And um, I felt a little bit better. And I was like, well, all right, let me look into this. I mean, because there have got to be some vegetarian athletes out there. They're probably terrible. But, you know, someone's out there. <laughs> someone's out there trying. Right. So. So I, I tried, I started reading, actually, the, the first two books I read were The China Study, uh, which you are um, very uh, well versed in, and then, um, I shouldn't say The China Study, it's multiple studies, but you know that, um, and then uh, The Food Revolution by John Robbins. Uh -huh. um, and I was surprised to see, obviously, The China Study is well referenced, but I was surprised to see The Food Revolution being so well-referenced scientifically as well. And I thought that was really interesting and it really piqued my interest. And so after that, I essentially went over the next couple of weeks, I basically transitioned onto a totally vegan diet. And so then I surpassed my wife and then I kind of <laughs> told her like, Hey babe, you got to get the dairy out. Like that is just, you know, that's ridiculous. So, so we, we phased, she phased the dairy out. We both became totally plant-based and, and, um, you know, I noticed a little bit of athletic improvement. I, what I was expecting was um, a, a real decline potentially in my performance, but I was willing to try it. And what I found was that my performance improved a little bit. Now, it wasn't like some amazing overnight thing where like, you know, suddenly I could climb four grades harder and I never got sore anymore. Another thing that I think people are a little bit un, un um, are, are, tend to be, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, not as truthful, I think in the athletic community when it comes to like soreness. So you hear things a lot like, well, I went vegan and then I never got sore again. And, you know, I ran a marathon an hour faster than I normally do. And I, I think you will see some modest increases in performance, especially when it comes to recovery, but it wasn't some like incredible transformational thing for me, but especially at that upper end of, especially athletics. at the upper end of athletics where you've already been a competitive athlete for some time and you're well-trained and your body is very well tuned to the sport you're doing at. It's, it's an edge for sure. Uh, if right. you do and before, yeah. before you were, before you went vegan, I'm, I'm assuming you weren't climbing on a diet of ring dings and, and Twinkies and, Krispy Kremes? Uh, not that, but it wasn't, I mean, I wasn't eating that well. I mean, I was probably uh -huh. drinking, I was drinking a lot of milk, um, and, um, I wasn't eating a ton of meat. So the, the dairy part I think was honestly the biggest change for me. And certainly I, I lost a little bit of weight. I kind of, I kind of toned up a little bit and I recovered a little bit better. And I was like, Hey, this is great. This is an edge. I feel good. Um, let's just keep going with that. And so, um, it's been, I've been on various, you know, uh, types of plant-based diets over the last 12 years. And I'd say the last five years has, have been totally vegan. Um, and I've really enjoyed that even as a, a competitive ultra marathon runner and, um, doing some other things. So that's, that's sort of my trajectory. Of course, I went to nursing school as well and, and became a nurse and, and we can talk about that as well. But Jackson, why don't you tell a little your story? Yeah, so I started uh, road cycling um, when I was 12 years old and quickly kind of fell in love with the sport of cycling and started racing at 
you know, kind of the national level and I did some international races, um, you know, kind of in my later years as a junior. And then I came to college here in Boulder at uh, University of Colorado, CU Boulder, and got on um, a really high level team. So I was racing at, at the category one level, which is the highest amateur level um, you can you can reach before you go go pro, essentially. And I was the young guy on this team, and it was it was a really you know fully funded, fully sponsored team. And I took uh, the semester off from school, um, the spring semester off, and went and lived in uh, down in Tucson, Arizona, for the winter to train because obviously in you know in the mountains of Colorado it snows in the winter and it's hard to ride your bike doing that. So uh, I was kind of preparing for the upcoming season. I was the young guy on the team and. A lot of pressure, both kind of externally and internally, to perform that season. I was super psyched. I was like, "This is my chance to, you know, turn pro and get a pro contract." And so I took, I, I just I went fully monk mode basically, and kind of got super serious, super obsessed. I have a very obsessive personality, and so I kind of took everything to the nth degree and was uh, obsessed with losing weight, restricting calories, counting calories to get as as light and as lean as possible. Uh, and was sort of actually eating, you know, I grew up eating a, a pretty healthy diet in, in the grand scheme of things. My mom was a great cook, but I sort of didn't really know much about nutrition. I was, I was, you know, I was studying physiology, uh, in school, but the nutrition classes that I was taking weren't really, uh, that well designed in my opinion. And a lot of this stuff was more reductionist, you know, science, you know, how many, milligrams of, you know, vitamin D or vitamin C or whatever, all these, you know, specific kinds of information. I didn't really know that much about what nutrition or what a healthy kind of diet, especially for athletes looked like. And I sort of fell into the paleo diet and was sort of following that. And so I was eating just a ton of meat, um, like very little carbohydrates, really basically afraid of carbohydrates. And I, I got down to about 130 pounds at my lightest and, you know, which is like 25, 30 pounds lighter than I am now, which is crazy to think about. Um, and just, you know, in a, in a bad spot, like I was, I was training super hard 20, 30 hours a week and, uh, you know, putting all this, all this time in training and, and sort of started to just really feel terrible, just fatigued all the time and not performing well and, and, and kind of struggling through this time. And, and we had a training camp and my team director kind of like called me out and was like, dude, you're really, you're really skinny. And you know, let's, we need to kind of talk about this. And, and so I ended up getting walking pneumonia as well. And it just, it basically like ruined my whole season, you know, this kind of pivotal season for me, um, my sophomore year of college. And, now, did so, you at that at that point did you have like coaches or mentors like yeah, yeah. who like other people who were doing paleo like were they saying do paleo but just eat extra bacon so you know, to, to put on <laughs> some pounds or were they were they sort of indicting the whole paleo pattern yeah, yeah so I had uh, so I had a coach and a team director like a team you know director manager um, and and so my coach was definitely directing a lot, you know, obviously my training, but he was also talking to me a lot about diet. And he was the one that kind of turned me on to the paleo diet. And I, and I still like his kind of philosophy with it was was much more whole food based paleo rather than bacon and, and eggs kind of uh, paleo and like coconut oil in your coffee um, mm -hmm. sort of thing. But I sort of like learned from him, but also just kind of took it to the extreme in my own 
my, my own way. And so I actually read the paleo diet for athletes book. There's, there's an actual book that's called paleo diet for athletes, which is like funny thinking back now. But, um, and so he was sort of out of the picture again, cause he was in Colorado. I was in, in Arizona and like, he was just looking at my training You know, I'd upload my training files, um, up on the internet and he would analyze them and he would tell me what to do. And, um, and, and it's not like I was just, absolutely like shitting the bed when it came to the training. I mean, I was actually, I was actually training really well and I was, I was kind of feeling well because I think it hadn't quite caught up to me yet. And this was in February ish probably and racing didn't start until March. So it really hit me after kind of at the end of this trip, um, to Arizona, that's when I got walking pneumonia and I started to like basically DNF every race, you know, we start, we do, the you know national racing calendar is the big kind of pro amateur uh, racing series, and I was it was my first year really kind of having a go at that, and I just um, got got crushed, and it was it was now, a bummer. When you were getting crushed, was, did it just feel like physical fatigue, or was there like mental fog too around strategy? Around like I was just I was just watching this clip uh, from like the two thousand three Tour de France where Lance Armstrong is in front of someone who falls. And like Lance does this amazing, like gets out of his way, oh, yeah. rides across the grass. Yeah. Like, like I'm thinking, you know, he was a like, like smart dude. Like were, were you, were you like less smart in your races or was it just physical? It was definitely mainly physical. I mean, obviously I was, a, I was very young and this was my first real attempt at, you know, this level of racing. So I, I was still very green when it came to the actual, you know, strategy. And I was on, I mean, I was on a really good team and we were really well dialed in terms of strategy and stuff, but, uh, it was, it was mainly physical. I mean, there definitely was a lot of times where, you know, you make a strategic or tactical mistake and it, you know, you lose time or whatever. But, uh, it, once I sort of got everything figured out with nutrition and stuff, I sort of kind of came back and was, was a lot better. And so, how the plant-based thing came into to play for me was once I kind of realized that there was some something wrong with the way I was eating, I sort of was like, okay, I'm going to do a full 180 and kind of totally wipe the slate clean and figure out exactly, you know, take a lot more seriously the nutrition and, and not really, and try and erase a lot of those preconceived notions of, you know, carbs are bad and you need to restrict and restrict and restrict because it's a, it's actually a really uh, unfortunate kind of culture within cycling um, and, in, you know, other endurance sports, but I can only speak to cycling is that there's sort of this like hidden culture of disordered eating um, in, in, in cycling, especially at high levels because, you know, you have to get to the, you have to really get to certain weights to, to be a fast climber. And so a lot of the, you know, people and teammates and stuff I was, I was with, we're kind of doing the same thing. So it just be kind of, kind of became this normal, this normal way of living of really, you know, eating in this specific restrictive way. And it sort of, it kind of blinds you. But anyway, I, uh, I, I, I started to kind of research the plant-based things. I'd heard about it. I'd watched forks over knives just kind of randomly on Netflix. And I was like, okay, this, this makes sense from a, you know, a health perspective, like a longevity kind of perspective. But yeah, what about athletes? And I mean, I know that they did highlight some athletes in there. And so I was like, okay, well, it looks like it's possible. And so I kind of started to le learn about, you know, Rich Roll and Brendan Brazier and, and you know, some of these high-level athletes. And I, I sort of just on a whim decided to just 
basically overnight go completely vegan and and I just immediately started sleeping better and had much better um I'd say less than the kind of performance thing I mean it's hard to extrapolate out but basically you know gaining that weight back that I lost combined with actually eating enough carbohydrates to fuel my training and racing I immediately obviously started feeling a lot better but I I don't know if that's necessarily due to the plant-based diet or or just getting enough to eat basically um but yeah, I mean, I, d- I definitely started to recover better, and it took it took many months to kind of get back to where I was feeling normal again. But um, yeah, and ever since then, it's just become like a passion of mine. I just really uh, felt like it clicked for me and, and works for me, and um, you know, started to do a ton of research. I read every single book I possibly could on the subject, and really did my research. And combining this with my education in in physiology, it was it was a really kind of uh, no brainer for me, I guess. Uh, now, so when you said you went vegan overnight on a whim, like, I guess it wasn't really a whim, like, well, but no, but I mean, it's, it sounds, it sounds like you did it without the kind of struggle that a lot of the people I work with have where they, you know, they watch forks over knives and they spend the next five years (laughs) trying to do it. Like, did you ever have a point like, you know, maybe you're, you say like you're monk, like obsessive, like you're able to do it for the training season. But then was there ever a point where you said, well, you know, what if I can never have X again, a cheeseburger, a milkshake, uh, whatever. Like, did you ever have a behavioral issue or was it just sort of uh, snap your fingers and make the change? Well, the the biggest behavioral issue for me was was socially because I was still sort of this I was still on the same team and I was still traveling around the country with my team to race and so I was a closet vegan for probably like two months maybe um, didn't tell anyone and like I wasn't perfect I wasn't like you know never eaten a piece of meat like I had I remember like I think I went you know quote unquote vegan in like May or something end of May and then like it was 4th of July and I was at a race with my, with my team and we had this big barbecue and like the only thing that, that was there really was like cheeseburgers. And so I had a cheeseburger and like, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to like force this. I'm going to pretend like I'm just normal still. And, uh, but like that didn't just like launch me back into where I was eating. Um, so So it, it sounds like it wasn't an identity issue. It was simply like, this is instrumental in my, in my training. Um, I mean, I think it wasn't, I think it was an identity issue for me because I was still a little bit insecure with it, you know, early on because I didn't know that much about it. And I was constantly worried about my teammates finding out and, and like asking Mm. me all these questions and they're like, oh great, you know, Jackson kind of went from this, you know, crazy restrictive way of eating now to like this other sort of restrictive way of eating. And, um, and so I really wanted to make sure I like knew my shit before I kind of that came out of the closet in a lot of ways. Um, and so for me, like the social thing was really hard because I was traveling and training and, and I didn't know anyone that was vegan really. And especially in the cycling world. And I think that's why that's how Aaron and I basically met was, uh, I sort of, I went to a, like a vegan meetup dinner thing here in Boulder and, and cause I was trying to, I was hoping to find some other people to talk to about athletics. And cause I was still like, Oh, what about iron and protein and, and soy and all these things. And, and I, I asked them like, Hey, do you guys have any re- recommendations for, uh, vegan athletes in Boulder that I could talk to? And they're like Aaron Stuber. And so we met for coffee and, and I asked him every question I possibly could think of because, my coach wasn't super supportive of it at the time. And he was really worried about 
the deficiencies or the low iron and, and all these things. And, and also I was, I was low iron even when I was not plant-based. And, and I think that was just from a lack of calories and just the high training load that I was doing. And so, uh, I just wanted to make sure I kind of had my, my ducks in a row with it. So what was it like to, to come out of the closet as a vegan? You know, so I, your coach was concerned about your performance. Were there any other issues, um, you know, social identity? Do people like feel threatened, make fun of you? What was that experience like? Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially in the my cycling kind of bubble, a lot of people were just not threatened, but they just sort of felt like it was gimmicky, you know, or like a phase and they just thought it was super weird and 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 so of course you know every time we would eat a meal they would make a big deal out of it and it just i i did get pretty tired of that and i i still do get pretty tired of that um and so i try to avoid situations like that um but yeah i think a lot of it was in my head too i think a lot of it uh was this it was just so new and um, and now all those same people are super supportive of it. And a lot of them have actually started to eat more plant-based as a result. And so I think it's just that initial kind of like change, you know, I think humans in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of humans are really resistant to change. And so they just, they see that and they think that it's some sort of weird thing. And I, I think that's also a potentially a big reason why, uh, Aaron and I take the position that we do with this stuff is that you know, we don't, there's a, vegan is all, is almost a very loaded term in today's world and, um, for better or for worse. And I think it, it just, it really kind of showed me that like, Hey, if you just lead by example, do your own thing, be comfortable with it and not, not make a big deal out of it and just kind of live your life. It, it, it makes it so much better for, for both parties. Mm. But so, I mean, I, I initially like, but I just, I, I think I, I quickly figured out the nutrition side of it and, um, was eating really well. And I've sort of evolved in, in many different ways with my diet. But, um, I think I was just, because I have an obsessive personality, I just, I did so much research and a lot of self-experimentation with, with the diet and really kind of dialed it in for me as an athlete. Right. So Aaron, I'm curious whether you had the same experience of it was pretty easy to switch once you decided you wanted to or, you know, were you subject to kind of the the cravings and doubts and, and backsliding that is, you know, pretty common? Yeah, so it's extraordinarily common. Um, most of the people that we talk to, that we work with as well, um, yeah, they really struggle to transition from a standard American diet to a mostly or totally plant-based diet. Jackson and I are anomalies in the sense that um, both of us are the type of people who can, if you present sufficient evidence, the next day we are making that change and we never look back, um, which makes us potentially less appealing, I think, to people who are, are really struggling with it. But but I'd like to think that we're really patient um, and understanding with, with people who are struggling. I have professional training as a health coach, so I understand the, the behavioral um, issues around some of that stuff. But um, yeah, I, I, um, 
I had my doubts for sure. Um, I was really heavy on supplementation. Uh, I think when I first started, so protein supplements and and a number of other things, I still do take um, some evidence-based supplements, but I I was still concerned um, with uh, some of the macronutrient ideas and, and things like that. And of course, as time goes by, I think people become less and less concerned, especially about protein. Um, so I had, you know, I had some doubts around that. Um, and, and, but, but in terms of like behavioral transition to actually get on the diet, um, no, I, uh, I'm not a picky eater in any way. I mean, I could just, I could eat a plate of beans three days, a three yeah. meals a day and I'd probably be fine with that. So that was a, um, you know, that's really helpful, I think, for anybody who's trying to make that transition. But but no, not not terribly difficult for me. So I'm really curious because, you, you know, you describe yourselves as sort of anomalies. If you just get sufficient evidence, you'll change. And I'm wondering why that is anomalous. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, like, exactly. <laughs> like, like, you know, it, it really hasn't occurred to me because I've, you know, the people I've been working with in my own experience has been – like a slog, one step forward, two steps back, cravings and doubts and yes. social pressure and stupid Facebook feeds and <laughs> and lies by the dairy industry, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. And, it, and it's so complicated. And I'm wondering if you think it's because you guys were athletes and, I th- you know, especially like high-level performance athletes, I think in order to get there, you have to kind of have a bias toward reality, mm-hmm. like – what actually works for you and you're very sensitive to it as opposed to the rest of us who are sort of muddling along and we can do something and it's a stupid thing to do, but we don't ever notice because there's a time lag between when we do it and when it comes back to bite us in the ass. I'm wondering, you know, what, what, like you, unusually you came to this, these diets as high level performance athletes. And I'm wondering if you think that had something to do with your pragmatism. Yeah, I, I would I would totally agree with that. I, I think people who dedicate the majority of their time to athletic endeavors and are always on that path of increased performance, like what edge, what tiny little tweaks can I make to get an edge in my performance? I think it's much more likely that should they find something they perceive to be another addition to their routine that would give them an edge, it's very easy to just make that sacrifice, if you will. And then I, I think I think the average person they really they really see a transition to plant based as sort of a decline almost, I think, in like the fun of life. And I, I think that is a big that's a big obstacle for a lot of people. So they even though you can eat so much food, I think they still see it as sort of restrictive in some or way extreme. or extreme and sort of less fun than their life was before. And, you know, you you always hear that argument like, well, if I live 10 years less, at least I had a ton of fun while I was <laughs> here. And it's like, of course, they don't take into account how awful chronic disease is. But um yeah, I do. I think athletes are are well suited to make big lifestyle changes because they're already used to sort of being in that pain cave and making changes and coming out on the other side a, a better person. And I think also uh, something that we talk a lot about is is sort of listening to your body. And I think athletes naturally have this really strong sense of of being able to really get in touch and in tune with 
the sensations of the body and and because when you're when you're training and you're trying new tr- new training protocols or you're doing you know different interval sets or or something that and you get immediate feedback whether that's going to help you perform in the next time trial or uh, you, you know, help you gain more muscle or whatever it is you're, you're trying to do, you get that instantaneous feedback almost. And it, it, I think that really helps to, to teach you what to think critically about things that are, 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 are helping you with your health or your performance or your lifestyle. And I think diet plays into that hugely. I think it's really easy to, um, for, for maybe a normal person to just, disregard diet as this important piece of your lifestyle and like, Oh, I just enjoy hamburgers so much. I'm just going to keep doing it like that improves my quality of life. But I think that it's, it's harder for people to really understand how that makes you feel. And so once you try the plant-based diet, you know, maybe it's a little bit harder to get over that, that hump, I guess. Um, but I think I like what you said about all this muck that, that we have to kind of, uh, walk through in order to understand what is true about nutrition or, or even exercise. And, you know, with our Facebook feeds just clogged with sensational headlines about, you know, different nutrition dogma and, and stuff. And, and I think it's just, that's what we're trying to do is like make this, this, make this easy and approachable and fun and not focus too much on like these really intense arguments and discourses and, uh, philosophies around diet. It's like, let's just eat more plants and then like allow that to fuel us to go and, and do whatever the hell we want with our lives. Well, and you know, I'm curious about how you guys sort of coach and help people. But one of the things that I've shifted a great deal in the past year or so is as I've become an athlete and I've become a runner and, um, you know, like with a Garmin GPS watch so I can really like pay attention to my metrics. It's like I just want to tell everybody, just go get a sport and really devote yourself to improvement and then the diet just becomes an instrumental. Yes. It's it's like it, it's it's not the main thing that we talk about anymore. Like yeah. we, we, you know, it's not all – like when I started well, with this podcast, I was really – like I look back at my archives, it was like mostly cookbook authors and all the latest – you know, vegan chocolate and this yeah. and that. And, <laughs> and I realized like I was just promoting shits and giggles yeah. as, as opposed to like now, like you said, like beans three times a day is fine because it's not important. Right. You know, you know like it is, but it, it's not, it's not the, it's not the main thing. It's my, my, my performance. Yeah. Yeah. Is the main thing. yeah I totally agree. Um, you know, shifting, Shifting over to a new dietary protocol, it does. It becomes secondary when the the biggest motivation for you is becoming an athlete. And I understand that not everybody wants to be an athlete. Many people just hate exercise, which is an which is another big obstacle. But it's true if you're if you're if you decide I want to become a runner and I'm going to run my first marathon, or I'm going to become a traveler and I'm going to go do have epic adventures around the world, then food becomes the fuel to do that really well. And that's essential. And that's a big part of our philosophy at TFF. Yeah, because we see a lot in in the vegan community, especially this sort of obsession with the food, you know, and posting photos of their, you know, perfectly designed, you know, smoothie bowls with like... (laughs) 
you know, cool designs with the chia seeds and a swirl. And lighting and, and yeah. professional camera, you know. Yeah, and like, <laughs> I, I, like I, that stuff is is great if, if you're really into photography like that. And like, I mean, definitely that stuff sort of was helpful for me when I was first learning how to eat this way because it's like, oh, okay, this is what people have for lunch, you know. Like, or that looks really good. Yeah. Wow, yeah. And I don't have anything against that. But we, what I do, what I am against is this unhealthy obsession with food where it kind of dictates, like it becomes your life and it becomes like everything you talk about, everything you post about and, and you really, your identity is with the food and you kind of forget to live your life. And, and a lot of vegans, I feel like, tend to kind of get comfortable in their own bubble because they can control all these aspects of food and then they get afraid to go out and travel to you know, some foreign country and they're like, Oh, but there's something, you know, the food is going to be out of my control. Like, what am I going to do? I can't have my like chia seed, sm like pudding, you know, like what am I going to do? <laughs> what about my fermented nut cheese? Yeah. You know? Like oh I can't God. do this. And so like, I think it's important to be able to step out of that and don't get me wrong. I fucking love a, a, a great smoothie bowl with granola and, and, and like my, you know, special mushroom coffees and stuff. And like I do, but I also realized that there's a time and a place for that. And like, for example, I'm going to Europe on Saturday and I'm going to like, I'm not thinking about food. Like the, the main purpose of that trip is to adventure in the Alps with my bike. And like, so I think what we're trying to do is create a culture of, of people that love eating plants and as a result, taking Epic Dumps, just going to keep hitting that home here. <laughs> but, uh, but doing it in a way that is, is efficient and exciting and fun and Practical. like slamming a couple sweet potatoes so that you can go like out into the mountains for the day or something, you know, but it's hard because there is that balance there and we do have to give people the tools. Not everyone like, not everyone likes to have a sweet potato with just a can of black beans poured on it for dinner. Like I do three or four times a, a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I've, I'm becoming less and less charitable about that like you know you mentioned like not everyone wants to become an athlete many people hate exercise like i have less less and less patience for that because yeah. <laughs> it's like my bird doesn't like flying my yeah. fish doesn't really want to swim <laughs> like you you know we when are it, athletes and it comes yeah, back that's to, a great it, point well and it also comes back to to movement over like workouts right, like right right like let's stop obsessing about like oh i have to get my workout in for the day it's like no just Go play outside. Go move. Don't don't just like go sit on the elliptical because you like want to burn X amount of calories for the day. Find something that you enjoy that that is outside, that connects you with nature, that is social, that makes you feel really good, and then you just you start to forget that you get those added benefits of of exercise. And like that's just I think an important point that you know maybe that's why people hate exercise. I think we're yeah. naturally designed to be outdoor mobile creatures you know we're 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 hugely um biologically physiologically you know suited for that kind of uh, movement and and i think maybe a lot of reasons why and this gets into you know whole like sociological and philosophical debates but with our with the media and with uh, our culture you know kind of being obsessed with body image and 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 working out to burn a certain amount of calories and going to the gym and doing your crunches and your stairmasters and and things like that it's like 
I hate that shit. I will like it. You have to like, I will go into a gym dragging my heels because it, it doesn't give me that same level of, of just like excitement and adventure that I do from, you know, hiking a mountain or riding my bike through the forest, you know, like it, that's, I think that's so much more important. Even just that small shift in mental approach and relationship to, to, to exercise or, you know, movement or whatever, like that's, that's the key, I think. Yeah. And it's funny, like our, you know, we have these different programs in our, in, within ourselves, like the body wants to move mm-hmm. and it wants to move to the point of like painful exertion, like, and, and the mind is going, Oh, this sucks. This sucks. Like yeah. the, the mind, the mind just wants to conserve our energy Right, in case the food runs out and we get chased right. by a saber toothed tiger, but our bodies, like once once we just start moving, and it's you know like yeah, I, I agree, like playing and just being free and, and expressive and being outdoors and in nature, and you know Boulder certainly helps. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. But 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 also there's that the imperative to like empty our capacity. Like I talk about this a lot with my business partner, Josh Lajani, who used to weigh 420 pounds and right. is now an, an ultra runner. Like the importance of on a, on a regular basis pushing through to discomfort and not just sort of skipping through meadows. Absolutely. The magic yeah. happens on that, on that when you cross over that line from comfort to discomfort. Yeah, and this is, a, this is another you know, huge part of what we talk about on a regular basis is the importance of getting out of your comfort zone all the time. So that's why in the winter I go and I sit outside in the snow and, and meditate. It's why I love hyperthermic conditioning. So I sit in saunas for, you know, a, a lot. It's why I love running ultra marathons in the mountains. It's why I love lifting weights. It's why Jackson loves to ride for six hours on his bike in the mountains. I mean, it's why we started the podcast. It's why, you know, it's why we basically do everything that we do at Thought for Food because the lifestyle is about constantly pushing that comfort zone. And you you don't want to be in panic mode and you don't want to be comfortable. It's that line, it's that yellow space between green and red, basically, that you want to – That's where you grow. That's where you grow. And so we really encourage people like, look, I don't care what your sport is. I don't care whether you're totally vegan or not. Like you've got to eat mostly plants, please. Like just start with that. You've got to move your body in a way that inspires you and you've got to challenge yourself all the time. Challenge yourself physically, challenge yourself mentally. That is where the sweet spot in life is. And and I think we live in a society that that reinforces the absolute opposite of all of those things. So not enough plants. Don't ever be sedentary all the time. And then we have these systems that hijack our circadian rhythm. So, you know, we're in boxes all day with lights. Our body has no idea how to deal with that, right? We have all these clocks and these sensors that try to tell us whether it's daytime or nighttime. We're surrounded by light all the time. We we are in air-conditioned, heat-controlled units all the time, right? So we never have to deal with heat stress or cold stress. Like, we're weak, our bodies are soft and weak and our minds are weak because of that. And so no wonder it's so hard for people to make big lifestyle shifts that are uncomfortable because that, like you said earlier, it's like that brain wants, wants it to stay that way. 
It wants the maximum amount of calories with the lowest amount of exertion and the most amount of predictability and ease in your day. Like all good mammals, you know, avoid pain and seek pleasure. That's what we're hardwired to do. And so it's really tough to get out of that bubble. But once you do, I find that once people usually assimilate to that new sort of lifestyle, they never go back because I just couldn't imagine um, living any other way. Yeah. And um, well, one of the phrases that has made the biggest difference to me and in my, in my coaching over the past year is uh, benign masochism. The idea, yeah, nice. and, uh, and you guys definitely, you know, embody it, right? It's, it's like, it's not like I'm doing this pain now for benefit later, which is just a really shitty uh, algorithm. Yeah. And it's, and, it's, and it's what we're supposed to do. Like, you know, how many units of pain to go to the gym so that I can look good in the bathing suit in six months? <laughs> yeah, but, that's a great way to look at it. But to, to, ta- to learn, to teach ourselves to derive pleasure from the pain we're feeling in the moment. Like, oh, yeah. Like, like alchemically convert it into self-esteem and pride. Yeah. It's maybe making my palms sweaty here. Yeah, my palms, <laughs> I, my, my, both of us have sweaty palms right now just talking about this because it's, it, it's, it's physiological. Like it becomes a part of your being to imagine a little bit of suffering, you know, and to, to imagine that pain and what you learn from embracing that pain and getting through it to the other side. When it gets into, you know, hormesis and this eustress versus de-stress, you know, I think that the chronic stress of of eating a shitty diet and being sedentary and being exposed to all these environmental toxins, that's de-stress. But eustress is this good kind of stress, which is like exercise, which is, uh, you know, hyperthermic conditioning and, and, you know, intermittent fasting and all these things that creates this, this kind of physiological reaction in the body that actually like upregulates the body's ability to you know fight off you know infections or just or just adapt to and grow and become stronger you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is 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 quite literally true basically um you know to a certain extent but um that like that growth is what i just i'm addicted to like i i so much has happened to me in the last year or two, basically since starting this this podcast and and just this platform. And it's like it's so goofy what we do, but like it has quite literally changed my life in such profound ways where this do epic shit and, you know, get out of your comfort zone, all these kinds of, you know, take epic dumps even like has 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 they just, I think about them all day, every day. And and I make decisions based on, okay, like, what is this? Is this, am I, is this decision I'm going to make comfortable or discomfort or uncomfortable, you know? And like, why? And, and, and what, what are kind of taking a, 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 a of like what the possible pros and cons are. And I think that can be said for, for diet too. Like what's the worst that could happen by adopting a plant-based diet? Like, the worst that could happen is like, oh, maybe socially it's awkward or, or hard and like, but like, who gives a shit, you know, to a certain extent, like this is your life. You have to be able to, you know, make the decisions. But I guess I, I don't even really know where I'm going with this little rant, but like, I just, I want people to understand that the most amazing things happen to you when you make that leap of faith into the discomfort zone and like, I, I just, it gives me chills to think about 
the trajectory that my life has taken since really even graduating from college in ways that I never would have imagined. And I, I don't know what's next, you know, after a, like a month from now is like the, as far ahead as my life is planned. But I don't care because that's exciting to me. And that's what drives me and makes me like wake up in the morning every day and just so excited to kind of get it done. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Do you guys find that that attitude around, you know, getting out of your comfort zone physically, getting out of your comfort zone around food, does that also bleed into like emotional life, like having conversations with people that were going to require courage, being more sort of, you know, holding your boundaries or, or where, where, whatever your particular sort of edges are? in sort of interpersonal and and um, internal growth. Do you find that there's a carryover? Huge. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I think when you just make yourself a person that's always confronting fear and, and always seeking that slight level of discomfort, uh, it, th- there's no way for it not to bleed into everything else. I mean, you know, if you get used to making yourself, I suppose there could be a situation where, physically you make yourself uncomfortable a lot and that's your that's kind of like your happy space or your safe place but like emotionally you're just not willing to uh, deal with certain issues or have certain conversations with people I, I suppose you could compartmentalize the effort but I found personally that um, it bleeds into to all things um, yeah, yeah I found I found my conversations with people to be much more rich and and especially with the podcast yeah right? and like, I think that's yeah it's hard to like determine which is which or you know what kind of came first but the and I'm sure you've probably felt this as well Howard is is doing the podcast every week has just transformed the way that I talk to people the way that I listen to people and and just the way that I talk in general, like I just, I, I feel like, I mean, if you go back and listen to some of our early episodes, they're, they're pretty embarrassing, like how kind of monotone I am and how awkward I am. And, and, uh, you know, I used to be a very kind of like just pretty awkward dude. And I, I still am, a, 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 I'm, I, I call myself the king of the goons. You're a major goon, dude. <laughs> but I, I, fo- I have found that like, I am just, drawn to and people are 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 like come into my life people that are just kind of on a very similar wavelength and I really appreciate that and I really you know I'm not a very like I'm not a religious person I'm not a very spiritual person but one of the biggest things that has happened as a result of this whole process is like it's crazy kind of how things line up in your life when you're kind of following a passion whether it's you know a passion or just an interest even how those things line up when you're sort of just going for it and and being okay with that uh, unknown territory that you're that you're kind of walking into and it's a really cool experience. So, kind of coming back full circle to your your audience, your market, are you finding that you are attracting and be, and having conversations with people who already come from this like kind of gung ho? We're going to seek seek our fear and obliterate it. Or are you bringing people in, you know, who are sort of tepid about that or curious and and kind of helping them to take baby steps towards towards their own epic? Mm. I think we have a little bit of both. A little bit. Yeah, I'd say a little bit of everything. Uh, you know, we, we definitely attract a lot of athletes 
And those people, of, of course, are, are cyclists and runners and climbers and people who are used to being in that state of discomfort. But we, we also attract we – we attract a lot of science-minded people, so people who are in school for different scientific disciplines and people who work in the scientific field um, just because of our emphasis on evidence and why that's so important. Um, and so I'd say it's I'd say it's a large spectrum from really, really shy and sort of just slightly interested in maybe trying a kind of plant based lifestyle, not quite so sure, just looking over the fence a little bit at us to people who are just one hundred percent full blown dedicated, like you guys are amazing and you know, tell me about intermittent fasting and how can I optimize, you know, my health. So we get the, we get the real spectrum from the very general to the very specific. So how do you guys coach people who are at the sort of more tepid end, the more um, hesitant, curious end of the spectrum? Because once, once someone's, you know, caught the bug, once they've got that, that passion and purpose, then it gets really easy to help them, right? You just give them a yeah. training plan. You just, uh, you know, tweak it every so often. It's sort of the classroom management part where half of them is unmotivated and maybe right. even pulling in the other direction. What do you guys do uh, to help those people along? Yeah, so we're still building up our coaching and consulting platform and putting it together. But as we're doing that, we're we're working with different people. And so as an entity, we still don't have a ton of experience with that, but I did some health and nutrition coaching, um, before thought for food. And I think the biggest thing with folks who are in, in that position where they're just not quite sure, and they very much, uh, want to take small steps and just, they want you to hold their hand is you just have to do those things, right? And and I think one of the most important things you can do is give people goals that they can set that are easily attainable, right? So you build someone's self-efficacy as opposed to their self-esteem by giving them little milestones that you know they can reach. And every time they reach a milestone, they get a little victory. And then they get another victory. And then they get another victory. And that starts to build their sense that I can set goals and I can achieve those things. And before you know it, you're halfway to your sort of one year or your five year goals or, you know, your larger sort of, um, you know, we do like a perfect day exercise where someone imagines like what the perfect lifestyle for them would look like. And so you try to help them walk towards that. And so when you give them those little tiny victories, their self-efficacy goes up. And before they know it, they're, you know, halfway or three quarters to the way towards their sort of their new ideal life. So I think for that patient population, as I will call it, just because I'm a nurse, um, that setting those small attainable goals is the very first thing you should do um, and not try to cram uh, this huge bolus of, of stuff down their throat. Just give them the little bits and hold their hand and make them feel good about it and, and, and they'll get the rest of the way there most of the time. Sometimes that doesn't work either and, and those are difficult uh, clients to work with. So, I love that. That's, uh, it makes so much sense and it's so, it's so easy to give people little things that they can succeed at because it feels good for us too, right? Not just. Oh yeah. I mean, it it goes both ways. Like as a coach, you feel great when you successfully coach somebody to a, to a victory, no matter how small that is. So that could be something as simple as 
can you eat one piece of broccoli a week? Like that, that could literally, I have literally started with one green thing on your plate a week. And you find that 99.99% of people can do that. And so they're like, Hey, I had a big thing of broccoli this week. Awesome, man. Doesn't it feel good to get some greens, you know? And then, and then you just bump it up a little bit and bump it up a little bit. And then you deal with the movement part too. Like, Hey, when you get home from work, instead of, instead of right away sitting down on the couch, opening a beer and watching law and order, let's walk for five minutes. So just walk, go out in your neighborhood, walk for five minutes and then do exactly what you would normally do. And then just start building that up. And they, you know, you, you both get these warm, fuzzy feelings and this dopamine hit basically every time that happens. And it's like the, the therapeutic relationship increases for the better. And then of course their life increases. And a year later, they're, uh, they're just kicking ass well, at th- life, you know? And I think it also comes back to sort of just our general approach for everything that we do where it comes back to, you know, meeting people where they are and not like we could just as easily just be sort of this these really, you know, black and white sort of vegans that are really like, okay, like we're abolitionists, you know, vegan is the only way um, for, you know, the planet, for the animals and for our health and like if someone comes to us and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm eating meat, you know, a few times a week, but I'm kind of interested in plants. Like what, what should I do? We could just say, well, you just got to go vegan. Like, you know, it's just like this, this is why here are the studies like the, the vegan is the best, blah, blah, blah. Haven't you seen cowspiracy? Yeah. Like I think it's just important to understand your audience and really be able to read and listen to whoever it is, is that's coming to you. Um, when it comes to food and, and exercise and, 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 and being flexible and patient with, with people and, and, and just leading by example. And I think that's why, you know, I like to share, you know, the, the, the lifestyle that I live on, on the YouTube channel or, or, you know, when we, Aaron and I talk about stuff like that on, on the podcast, like we just, we want to help inspire people to understand that you, you can reach the goals that you want to do or want to, uh, you know, achieve. And it, it, it doesn't have to be overnight, like the way we did it, I guess. Beautiful. So there's so much more I would love to talk to you guys about, but I'm looking at the time, and uh, I think well, many many of my listeners are like sitting in the parking lot of their commute, being late for work. Um, <laughs> but how how can folks get in touch with you? How can they follow you and and get some uh, some vitamin Aaron and vitamin Jackson? Into oh, I love, lives? I love that. <laughs> that's that's great. I'll le- I'll leave that to Jackson because he does this more often than I do. Vitamin J and vitamin A, your your your, your <laughs> daily dose. Yeah, so you can uh, definitely check out our podcast. That's kind of our 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 bread and vegan butter. Um, it's the Thought for Food podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play. You know all the places. Um, and then, um, probably our next best thing is, is YouTube thought for food TV on YouTube. Just go search in YouTube thought for food TV. Um, that's kind of like what I do mainly. Aaron's not a huge part of that. He sometimes makes appearances, um, it, whether it's putting makeup on me, we, he did a, a famous makeup tutorial. I don't know if you've seen that one, but <laughs> definitely check that out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but okay. I, I, I mainly do like video blogs. So like vlogs and, and I'm actually about to embark on this pretty epic, um, trip to Europe to raise money for Mercy for Animals. Actually, with a couple friends, we're going to be riding our bikes up the the most epic and um, historic climbs in the French and Italian Alps. And I'm going to be vlogging the whole time and and kind of documenting that process of how we 
thrive as plant-based athletes and, and, you know, doing epic shit basically. And so, um, I'll be putting up a lot of videos on there. You can follow us on Instagram at TFF lifestyle. It's just TFF lifestyle. Um, we're on Facebook and Twitter and, um, but you can, you can find us and our website of course is just TFF lifestyle.com. Awesome. Um, well, you know, my, my, my brothers, <laughs> who, um, from, from, from other sports, um, I'm, you know, I feel like there's, there's so much that I have learned in the past couple of years that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know exactly how old you guys are, but I'm guessing from your photos that you're either like extremely healthy or, or in your like late twenties, early thirties. So um, I'm, I'm 33 on the 22nd of this month and Jackson is 23. So I'm uh-huh. a decade older than him. Gotcha. And God, I wish I had learned this stuff. Oh, I'm so <laughs> three grateful dec- every three, single three day. Decades. So grateful. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm grateful too that I, I'm, I'm not 80 saying, boy, I wish yeah. I'd learned this when I was 50. But, right. Uh, you know, I think it's so awesome that you guys are inspiring a, you know, a generation. Um, I'm sure you're inspiring people of all ages, but especially speaking to to generations who can who can use this information to benefit themselves and the planet and the animals for uh, for decades to come into into healthy lives. So, uh, Aaron and Jackson, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been really fun having this conversation. Yeah, it's been awesome, Howard. Thank you for having us on. And and I feel like we could talk probably for another three or four hours about this stuff. So maybe we can repeat this at another time. We'd love to get you on our show and continue the conversation. Awesome. I'd love to. I've got, the, I've got that on tape now, so I'm going to hold you to it. All right. Good. <laughs> good. Yeah. Well, we, we really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Um, you asked some really great questions and, and it's, uh, it was, it was, it was an honor to, to kind of sit down and, and hash these things out. And, and, and like we've said, we've said, this is an ongoing process. We never, we never arrive, you know, we have to continue to have conversations with, with people like you, people like us and, and beyond and, and be able to really build and create community even outside of the podcast realm. Like let's, let's, you know, I would love to meet you in person and go for a run. You know, it, it's, it's, I, I wish I could come up to Leadville this weekend and, and, and cheer you on, but I'll be on a plane. So yeah, let's, let's make it happen and, and, and best of luck to you this weekend. And just with everything else you have going on, we really appreciate it. Right on. Thanks so much. See ya. If you enjoyed this episode of the plant yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help us out when we're trying to reach more listeners and spread the word. For more information about the Big Change Program, led by me and Josh Lajani, visit BigChangeProgram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at PlantYourself.com slash 223. If you're new to the show, catch up. 225 archived episodes at PlantYourself.com. And if you get the podcast but not the Big Change Bulldog, the weekly-ish newsletter, you can sign up and also get that Stop Self-Sabotage report at PlantYourself.com slash sabotage. So I'm about to read the list of sponsors, but I've gotten some feedback from folks that the list is getting too long and it's starting to get annoying. So I have to think about that. If you have a thought about whether you find this long list of podcast patients, patrons to whom I am so grateful to be annoying, if you have another idea about how to honor them, maybe rotation or something like that, uh, let me know. You can just uh, leave a comment at uh, the podcast below the episode uh, that you're listening to. But uh, until then, until I figure out what to do, here we go. Thanks to 
Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hadley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennedy, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Dielson, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jen Wilkinowski, David Isaac, and Mysterious Michelle X, Elspeth Fenley, Heldman, Victoria Dolmanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolick, Sarah Durkis, Ryan Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Benham, Gila, Sarah David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Doreen, Doreen, not Doreen. <gasps> Dorona, these of rhymes with keep the cheese off. Sorry, Doron. Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderberg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warabeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman rhymes with cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Halmus, Mark the Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R. <gasps> Susan Lafferty, the panda vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry rhymes with furry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch of Plant Happy Oregon, Sabine Kurtzals, Nigel Davies, and Marion. Blum, which rhymes with plum. Thank you so much for your generous support of the podcast. Thanks also to Will Ridenauer. His song, Sabali Dun, The Dance of Peace, is the intro and outro music for this show. And you can find his music at willridenauer.com. If you would like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes on your favorite social media platform. You can write that iTunes review. And, of course, you can become a Patreon of the show with an ongoing contribution, ideally, And you can do that over at plantyourself.com. Just click the Patreon link in the sidebar. In garden news, we pulled out most of the basil, replaced it with baby, baby, baby kale in the form of seeds, hoping that that's going to uh, keep us in greens throughout the fall, winter, and spring. Um, We've also made a great baba ganoush out of the eggplants that are coming in fast and furious. And the tomatoes are pretty much done. And that's about all we got in the garden going on. In running news, still running nice and slow, easy, six fun miles today. I'm starting to look at the calendar. October 14th is my 50K, and I'm hoping to beat last year's time. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends.